Welcome to the London Welsh Rugby Club podcast. This is episode 72. In this week's episode, our guests chat about playing for the Voyagers in the Amsterdam Sevens. The Voyagers are a charitable society providing assistance, financial and otherwise, to injured amateur sportsmen and sportswomen. They are looking for more members to support the charity and membership starts at £10 per year and they have a number of events that you can support. You can find more information to join at www.voyagers.org.uk. So our guest started his senior rugby career with Northampton Saints, but struggled to get a regular starting berth at Scrum Half because he was behind Jacko Page, the current England international, so he was often playing centre. He then moved to Austin Park to further his international aspirations and sat on the bench a few times, but was never capped by England in the end. He did captain the Barbarians a few times and won a county final at Twickenham with Middlesex. He then moved to London Welsh in 1979 and Old Deer Park was his home for the next six seasons where he made Scrum Half his own. We chat about his current role at Saracens and what it's like being a parent of a professional player travelling the world watching your offspring play. Our guest this week is Ian George. Enjoy! Welcome to the pod, former London Welsh scrum half, Ian George. How are you, Ian? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Gareth. So it's great to see you. have been trying to track you down for, for a few months, so I'm glad we've managed to get the time to, to speak. Look, now my research tells me that you're still involved with rugby. What are you doing within rugby circles at the moment, Ian? Yeah, I am. Um, well, I, I was in teaching for a long time, so I retired from after 40 years of teaching in 2015, and uh, started working at Saracens. Um, and my role at Saracens is, is basically to work with those young players who are on their first full-time professional contract. So pretty much those guys who are out of school, 18, 19, 20 year olds, uh, because at Saracens, they all have to do something outside of their rugby program and uh, to sort of prepare them for transition, hopefully later, but you know, obviously it can happen any time. But um, so my role is to make sure they're all doing something uh, to prepare themselves for life after rugby. And then also aspects of personal development. So I get people to come in and speak to the uh, senior academy players, um, you know, take them out to, to visit organisations and things like that. So I, I do two days a week. Um, for me, it's a dream job spending two days a week in a rugby club and uh, talking about rugby all day. That's, that's fascinating. Look, I think uh, Saracens are one of the most progressive clubs uh, out there when it comes to this type of programme. Yeah. Now you say it's the senior academy players, but do the professional players have to do this sort of thing as well? Or once you become fully professional, it's up to you what, um, how you spend your spare time? Yeah, no, I mean, th- those guys I'm working with are on a, they are full-time professionals. Right. So, they're, they're the guys who are on their first professional contract. So, but you know, most of them, uh, they're in the what we call the senior academy. They can be in the senior academy for perhaps three years. So they're the ones who've come straight from school. Um, but there's also my sort of boss, if you like, uh, is a guy called David Jones. And he works, does a similar thing with the senior squad, helping them, you know, um, uh, he brings speakers in to talk to the whole squad. He uh, tries to, to help them if, if they're doing qualifications. Because a lot of the guys obviously progress from 
you know, the, the guys I'm working with progress into the, the, the senior squad and, you know, David carries, carries on working with them. So, so yeah, I mean, um, yeah, a, quite a, a lot of the senior squad are, are doing something to prepare for life after rugby. Yeah. You know, I think it's brilliant because, you know, I'm, I'm a customer of Tikatonga Coffee, which is Brad, yeah, Barry, right. Brad yeah. Barry's company. And this is obviously yeah. Wolfpack Lager and all that. Do you yeah. think this, once these um, men transition to the senior squad, do you think this strategy helps them with their rugby as well? Because they've got other things to focus on. It's not their life isn't just about rugby. Definitely, definitely. I mean, obviously, rugby is their their first priority, and it, it always will be while ever they're playing. But uh, I think it's good for them to have a distraction because you know, for some of these young guys, that they're, they're not paid huge amounts of money. You know, certainly not like the footballers. But you know, if they're kicking their heels all day, they they, I mean, they train hard, don't get me wrong, but, you know, they have lots of time during the week. And it, if they are, you know, if they haven't got something to occupy themselves, then, you know, they can drift off into, you know, they might have a dabble on online gambling or, or whatever. So I think, you know, it's important for them to have, you know, something else to focus on. I mean, obviously, a lot of them are family men, so they have their families to, uh, to look after as well. But I, I think it's important that, they have that something to focus on. And of course, um, I mean, we hope they all have long, successful careers, but of course, you know, it can all be over in, you know, in a minute with, uh, with a serious injury um, and, you know, that that's it gone. And there are so many that you hear of, not necessarily at Saracens, but, you know, across the premiership who get to the end of their career and they think, okay, so what am I going to do now? And, and of course that's, that's not good. I mean, the RPA do what they can, but, um, you know, I think that, you know, at Saracens, we, as you say, you know, it, it is important, that, you know, the trait that the players are treated really well and they're looked after and, and Saracens want to look after them, you know, not just now, but when they, uh, when they finish playing, like you said, with Tiki Tonga and Wolfpack and so on. Yeah, you certainly get a sense of a uh, sort of family within Saracens and, and speaking of family, obviously, both your boys or did work as Saracens. I believe one of them has just left as a as a physio potential, hasn't he? I think. Yeah, he's uh, well. He's been there for eleven years, and <laughs> in fact, he leaves uh, well the eighteenth of July is, is his last day at work. So, uh, so yeah, yeah. I mean, it has been a family, and um, I think because of my links, uh, Edward Griffiths was the chief executive when uh, when sort of Jamie was coming through the academy, and um, obviously. At, yeah, we ha I had good links with Saracens, both through Jamie, but also through the school that I was working at in Hertfordshire. Um, and it just came up in a conversation with Edward. You know, one day he said, what are your plans? And I said, well, I haven't really got any. He said, well, how, how would you like to come and work for us? So that, that's how it came about. That's what a great, self, great, great way to be involved and to see. Obviously, you said your other son's leaving as a physio, but your, yeah. you said you mentioned Jamie. He's, of course, it's Jamie George who plays for, as a hooker for Saracens and England. So he must be proud of what he's achieved as, as a rugby player. And, you know, I'm sure you're proud of all your children, right? But obviously, in, in, from a rugby perspective, uh, he's got on to, to be, I'm sure, more than 50 caps for England, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we are proud of all our children, but, you know, we are incredibly proud of what, what Jamie's achieved. And, uh, you know, it's been a bit surreal, really, because we've spent the last probably 15 years travelling all over the world watching him play, you know, whether it was in the England age groups and then 
with Saracens. And then, after, you know, the, the World Cup in 2015 was his first England cap, although that was only a study in a minor role. Uh, but it's really kicked on since then. And I suppose the highlight would have to be going to New Zealand for the Lions tour in 2017, which was just, you know, surreal, really. I think I recall, right, there's a story. I, I, I'm a big Five Live listener. I'm sure there's a story around your wife. Was she a, teach, is she a teacher as well? And yeah, did, she yeah. have, did she have to go back or something, Ian? So no, just, no. Well, what it was, I mean, this was Chris Jones, who after the second test in Wellington, uh, we happened to be in a coffee shop. It was actually with Kevin Bowring. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and um, they were doing uh, media interviews next door. And Jamie happened to mention that, you know, we were there and we were actually going home. So, I mean, the story is that um, in 2016, you know, we hadn't even thought about going on the Lions tour. It wasn't even, you know, in a dim and distant hope. It, you know, we just hadn't thought about it. And then in the Autumn Internationals, at that point, Dylan Hartley was the England hooker and captain. And Jamie was coming off the bench for most games and getting some decent game time. Um, but after the uh, Autumn Internationals, as the media does, they they picked um, their sort of lion squad because uh, yeah. Jamie was in every, all of them. Um, obviously, that didn't mean anything, but we were thinking, ah, well, maybe we ought to, you know, ought to give it a thought. And various other people had said, look, we're going, you've got to go, Jamie's going to be going and all this sort of thing. So... Um, we, we know there's a guy who, in fact, all the boys have played cricket with, one of the, the, the local uh, village cricket sides near Hartford, who is a travel agent. And I rang him and said, this was just before Christmas. And I said, look, Neil, this is the situation. If, if Jamie's selected, then, you know, we would go. But if he's not selected, you know, we wouldn't go. So is there anything we could do to put something in place? Um, and then... You know, once the squad was announced mid-April, I think, from memory, um, and then once the squad's announced, can we either confirm or, or cancel? He said, yeah, no problem. So we went through all that process. But, I mean, it, it was me that said to, to Jane, well, realistically, if Jamie does go, he's probably going to play in the midweek games more than... <laughs> yeah. So that wasn't that, you know, I hadn't got faith in him or anything, but, you know, just being realistic... Um, and so we sort of front loaded it a little bit. We got there uh, a couple of weeks before the first test. But then, um, as you say, Jane, Jane was teaching at a, a school in, or still does teach at a school in, in Hemel Hempstead. And uh, the head had very kindly given her time off, but she had to be back for that last period of term. So we booked our flight back after the second test. Well, you know, at the time we booked the flights, we thought, you know, well, that'd be great. We'll, we'll have three weeks or whatever it was, four weeks, uh, nearly four weeks in New Zealand. Um, and it'll be brilliant. And of course, as it turned out, Jamie played in all three tests. Uh, they won the second test in Wellington. Yeah. And um, that night, again, we were, we were with Kevin and his wife, Wendy, and other friends. Uh, they, they were saying, you can't go home. You can't go home. The series won all. You, you know, you can't go home, but we didn't have any choice. And Jamie mentioned that to, to Chris Jones and he came down and said, could we just have a quick interview? And uh, so, yeah, we, on the day after the second test, we started heading home back up towards Auckland 
And I think we got home on the Tuesday and watched the game here at home, the third test with friends at home. Oh, so, yeah, so actually, I, my recollection, obviously, was I, know, I thought you'd made the third test, but you actually did come home. So, uh, oh, we came. Yeah. We, we didn't have an option, really. And uh, getting another, even if we'd been able to stay to sort of try and find a flight, the whole world and his wife would have been getting out of Auckland after yeah. the third. I think flights would have been a lot more difficult to come by. But uh, no, I mean, yeah, obviously it was it was a shame to be leaving after the second test with everything to play for in the third test. But it, it was just an unbelievable experience. And, uh, you know, we were so pleased to be able to be there. I suppose, um, you know, not the coaches are concerned of you know, how parents um, are going to react you know, to selection because you know, parents are obviously not going to travel if their children aren't being selected. It's quite, quite a challenging thing as a rugby parent, I suppose, to, you know, you're, you're, and expensive, I imagine, Ian, to go, oh, yeah. as you say, you've yeah. been to Japan, these under-20s, Lions, all this sort of thing. It's, it's yeah. a, a big expense. So, so I take it then, he's in Australia at the moment. Would you be going to Australia? No, I, I, I mean, it's just too far to go. And it's, you know, we, it would, I suppose we'd be there. We could have been there for two weeks, but it's just, you know, another really long trip and flying. I don't have great fun at the moment. Uh, and of course, as you say, the expense, it's, um, you know, it is expensive. We're, we're very uh, privileged in that we get, you know, tickets for games that through Jamie. So, you know, we don't have to pay for our tickets, but even so it's still, massively expensive and we you know we thought we'd we'd miss uh, you know skip this one and watch the games on tv ah fair enough hopefully he's, he's going to go to france in 23 and be part of that squad that's oh, a bit, a bit close to yeah. home isn't it yeah much closer to home a lot easier to get to than yeah. japan uh, yeah so i mean that would be great if uh, you know if he makes the 23 world cup squad then yeah we would definitely be there no brilliant look um you know I- because of your work with Saracens, I take you at a Premiership final. Obviously, it wasn't the right result for Saracens, but you know, considering their season they had in the Championship, still a strong season for the club, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it just uh, speaks volumes, you know, about the players and the coaches, and you know, the the sort of belief they have in each other. And I mean, they do work, you know, incredibly hard uh, because you know what what the club has been through in the last couple of years. You know, yeah, and, and you know, you, you could argue that, you know, it was self-inflicted and yes, it was. Uh, but they've taken so many knocks over the last couple of years. And for them to be able to come back from that, keep the squad largely intact, uh, you know, on the whole, most people uh, came back. And to be able to perform like that was was a real credit to the club and just shows, you know, how important that is to them and, and what it means to to them, um, yeah, it wasn't the right result on the day, and I think they'll they'll be disappointed. Obviously, that they're on their sort of end of season break just now, so they won't have had chance to to get together and chat it through. But I think they they will be disappointed because they didn't really play play as well as they can. They know they didn't play as well as they can. Fair play to Leicester; they fully deserved it. Um, but I th- I think Saracens will be disappointed with the way they performed in the final and. Uh, they'll want to put that right next year if they possibly can. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a tight game, one score game for, for most yeah. of that. So, uh, you know, and yeah, I mean, a great way for us to win in the last minute. But I mean, as you say, yeah, if, yeah. You're yeah. On the, if you're on the receiving end of that, you know, it's, it's not, yeah. not great. Is it? Look, do you know what, Gareth? Uh, I mean, just to put everything in perspective, 
Um, you know, we I, I, I we're quite friendly with uh, with the Youngs family because uh, obviously yes. I Nick and uh, played with Nick a few times as well. So Ben and Tom's dad, uh, and to see those guys out on the pitch with their kids with the trophy after what they've been through, it just puts everything into perspective. And I know Jamie had a long chat with, with Tom after the game and had a beer with him. And, you know, he said what, what an incredible human being Tom is. And it, that just puts it all in perspective. Yes, of course, you know, Saracens would have loved to have, have lifted the trophy, but to see Ben and Tom Young's there with the trophy was, uh, you know, that was something special. No, I certainly agree with that. Look, definitely. Look, I, I interviewed Alex Good um, for this podcast uh, a few weeks ago because he, yeah. he'd had a couple of games for the, the Welsh when he was finding his way in rugby. And uh, it just, you know, there's just so many good men in there around Saracens. You know, yeah. your, your, your son comes across really well in media when he does Five Live and things like that and really grounded. And that's all part of this sort of strong family culture that they've, they've yeah. got down there. I really yeah. agree with that. Yeah. So um, when you were playing for London Welsh then, did you work around Richmond? Because you, you said you, te- you taught for 40 I was, years. I was teaching, uh, initially I was teaching Reading. So it was just a quick trip down the M4 and I used to travel to training with the likes of Clive Reese. Yeah. And uh, the team secretary at the time was a guy called Arthur Jones, who also, in fact, he taught at the same school that I did uh, for a while. He then went out of teaching um so we used to sort of travel into to Aldia Park together and uh very happy days and how did you find juggling you know, your rugby career because and teaching because you were you were an amateur sportsman playing a very high level and a professional teacher obviously that that's quite a ba- difficult balancing act isn't it yeah but it was for everybody at the time I mean we were all amateurs um you know we all had full-time jobs and it was a case of you know training as and when you could um you know i, I was a great believer in 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 training i wasn't a, a fanatic by any means but you know uh i felt it was important to make the effort to get to training so it was two evenings a week even if you you know because I, I, at that stage i was teaching pe so you teach all day maybe have a game uh, school game after school, jump in the car, get down to Old Deer Park for training, get home at 10 o'clock. But, you know, it's what you did. And, and in fact, I was saying to some of our friends in the village here the other day, I used to uh, referee, referee school matches on a Saturday morning, jump in the car, drive down to Old Deer Park and play, <laughs> play in the afternoon, which, you know, we, but, but we all did, you know, with, within uh, the jobs that we had, we, we all did those sorts of things. That's amazing. That look, look, look. So, where was home for you when you were growing up? Um, and when did you first become interested in rugby? Because around those days, there probably wasn't much mini rugby, was there? No, no mini rugby at all. So, um, I uh, I was brought up in a place called Toaster in Northamptonshire, and uh, I loved my football. Well, I love I love most sports, but I, I love my football more than anything. And then uh, I went to a, a Toaster Grammar School, as it was then. Uh, at age 11 and you weren't even allowed to take a football into school it was you know <laughs> a school with a big rugby tradition and uh, quite a few of the um, the guys who were in the first 15 when I was in year seven uh, went on to play for, for Northampton so they, they were massive heroes of, of mine and and that's when I, I first started playing um, you know I went to grammar school aged 11 um, we, we had, you know, a decent rugby programme. 
I played for the so county under 15s and the county under 18s. And also, again, in those days, of course, there was no restriction on how many games you could play. So I, I would quite often play for school in, on a Saturday morning and then play for the old boys club in the afternoon. Um, so I, I did that for uh, a year or so until I played third team and fourth team and all these older guys would look after me and, and it was great fun and it certainly toughened you up a bit because there was some, you know, some big guys around. And then um, it, the, the Toastestrians was the club and uh, we moved up to a new clubhouse just outside Toaster and uh, there was a guy who, who was sort of retiring from Northampton who came back to captain uh, the Toastestrians called Roger Turner and uh, he liked what he saw of me and so I started playing for the, for the first 15 uh, and again they looked after me incredibly well but in, in those days you know that the, the plan was for towns like Northampton or Leicester or Gloucester you know the, the traditional rugby playing towns and cities the, the local clubs would feed in the better players to Northampton and then as they got towards the end of the career, as Roger had done, they went back to the clubs to, you know, to develop the, the younger players. So that was my route into Northampton, really, through the Tosestrians. And, um, you know, that, that was uh, how I, I ended up at Franklin's Gardens. How, how old were you then when you started playing senior rugby? So you said, you know, were you like 16, 17 or I, younger than I that even? My first game for the uh, Tosestrians fourth team, I think I was 15. <laughs> And of course, you wouldn't be allowed to do it now. Yeah, uh, wouldn't be able to play two games in one day either. Uh, then I suppose I was I was seventeen when I started playing for the first team. Yeah, um, and you know I learned so much from from a lot of these guys, and you know you had to be as a scrum half, you had to be pretty quick, otherwise you get a good shoeing. Um, so that sharpened up my game as well. Um, and then the the natural sort of progression was for me to go down to, to, to Northampton, to Franklin's Gardens and, and play down there, which uh, I, I was there for six seasons, I think, and absolutely loved it. Um, but, but had to move, unfortunately, because I, I wasn't getting games at Scrum Half. Yeah, no, that, that's, that, that, yeah, I want to come on to that, actually, because um, Northampton was your first senior club, amateur, yeah. rugby, amateur rugby. So did you go to university at all and play at university? No, I, did, I went to teacher training college, but yeah. um, I... I didn't play rugby at uh, teacher training college. My teacher training college was just outside Oxford. So I was going back up to Northampton to play for them at weekends and going back training as and when I could. Um, but no, I, I, I played at Northampton throughout my time at college. And what, um, what are there other leagues in the 70s are a bit, bit different to they are now, but uh, what sort of um, competitions were Northampton at the time? Were there a lot of cup competitions, were there a lot of friendlies or leagues? What was it, Ian? Yeah. I mean, there weren't any official leagues. Um, yeah. A couple of years in, there, there was a sort of, the Daily Mail did a, an Anglo-Welsh league. That was just done on results through the season. Right. Uh, just on a percentage of wins, because you didn't play everybody in, you know, in the, in the league anyway. So it's just on percentage of wins. Um, there was the John Player Cup. Yeah. yeah. That was the only competition. But, I mean, we, we play 40 games in a season. And, um, you know, they were all really competitive I mean I, I didn't uh, my first game for the first team was um, was about three or four months in I played against St Luke's uh, College from Exeter 
Um, they had people like Mike Slemon playing for them. Um, the uh, guy who was the Bristol scrum half, Alan, Alan, I can't remember his name, was playing for, I mean, Luke's, you know, had produced, um, Jeff Squire was playing the back row for Luke's that day. So, um, you know, that, that was my first, first team game, <coughs> excuse me. Um, and then from there, I sort of dipped in and out the first team. The first team scrum half was a guy called Jacko Page. Yeah. Who at the time was an England international. Um, I learned an awful lot from him, particularly how to kick the ball because he could, he would have loved it these days. He would have been kicking the ball to death. Um, but um, then I, I started playing on a more regular basis, but I, I started playing um, mostly at centre. I played a few games at fly half, a few games at fullback, played most of my rugby at centre, all for the first team. Yeah. And then if, um, if Jacko was injured, then I'd, I'd get a game at scrum half. And I, I was loving it. I mean, Northampton were one of the best sides around at the time and, You'd have local derbies against the likes of Bedford, who were right up there at the time, Coventry, Leicester. And then you play the big Welsh sides like Cardiff or Llanethley or, or whatever. And, you know, we, we, we were, as you know, the, probably were six or seven internationals in that Northampton side. So it was great, you know, and, uh, and we were pretty successful. Um, but, you know, I, I wasn't playing scrum half on a regular basis. And I can't remember. I, I think it was about 1977-ish. Yeah. One of the selectors said, look, if you've got any ambitions of playing at a higher level, and we think you probably could, you've got to play scrum half. You're not going to play for England as a centre. Uh, you've got to play, you've got to be playing scrum half. So reluctantly, you know, I left, uh, I left Northampton at, at that point to, to get more games at scrum half. So you went to Austin Park then to, to, I went for to a couple of seasons? Yeah, I didn't have... Any, I didn't know anybody in London rugby really, other than the guys I'd played against. Um, but there, there was a guy who had been coaching uh, Rosslyn Park, who had, had played at Northampton called Glenn Robertson, and I just got in touch with him and asked him to introduce me to the club. So I had I had two scenes at Rosslyn Park, which, if I'm honest, I didn't enjoy that much. Um, I, I said earlier that you know training was always really important to me. I wasn't a fanatic, but it was all really important to me, but it wasn't, it didn't seem to be that important for, for those guys at the time. Again, Rosslyn Park could have put out 10 internationals in any given Saturday. The likes of Peter Warfield, I don't know if these names will mean anything to anybody these days, Peter Warfield, Charlie Kent, um, uh, Neil Mantell, uh, Andy Ripley, you know, all these sorts of guys. Um, and I, I think the final straw for me was that uh, we were playing Leicester in the John Player Cup. And, and again, I was travelling down from Reading and we, we went down. We had 12 for training on the Thursday night before this game on the Saturday. And I thought, you know, uh, and I don't mean that this with any disrespect to Rossin Park because they, you know, they, they had some great players. And uh, I, I just thought, you know what, I, I want to take my rugby a bit more seriously. Um, and I was, uh, Jane and I were living in Henley at the time, on Henley on Thames. And I was walking around Henley, uh, sort of after, after seeing, I, I, I should say I started playing sevens when I was at Rosslyn Park. And, right. uh, you know, which I loved 
playing sevens and maybe we can come back to that later but um so we we played all the the sevens tournaments and i was walking around henley and i bumped into arthur jones who was the team secretary at london welsh at the time and we were chatting and, and he said you yeah, know how's it going at austin park uh, i said ah, you know i I don't really enjoy it that much because I'd been at Northampton where, you know, you, you were expected to be at training and you had to have a really good excuse if you weren't at training. And he said, well, why don't you come play for us? I think they were a bit concerned because Alan Lewis had just been called up to the Lions um, tour. That Was that South Africa? Alan Lewis is from half. Uh, was that 1980 or 79? 1980. I think it was, yeah. And they sort of had a whisper that he probably wasn't going to play very much for, for the club after that. So they were on the lookout for a scrum half. So, you know, that worked out perfectly. I went, started going down there and, um, you know, there's, again, there's some great characters down there. Uh, Bill Davey was the club captain when, when I first went there. And of course there was Kevin and I played with it. I played some sevens with some of these guys like, like Clive Reese and Kevin, um, the likes of Gareth James and Winston Bishop, you know, all great characters. And uh, they immediately made me feel really welcome. And that was the start of another few seasons, which I loved. I loved my time at London Welsh. Yeah. Let's wait about sevens then, because, um, you know, we've got the Voyages as a charity just with yeah. deep connections and roots with London Welsh. Yeah. Did you, did you, who do you play sevens for? Well, I know you've played for the Voyages, but... I played, did... Yeah, I played a few times in sevens tournaments for the Voyages. We'd go down to East Grinstead. Um, for the sevens tournament down there, played in the Heineken sevens in Amsterdam for must have been at least four or five years for the Voyagers. And again, you know, had some uh, had some great times with the Voyagers. Uh, it was mostly London Welsh players, but yeah. we'd always, you know, one or two others in, and uh, and that was always good fun. And the weekends were brilliant. And you get the, you know, the, the the core group, the hardcore group of the Voyagers, like Colin Hill, bless him, who, uh, you know, great man and, you know, great rugby person. And we, we had some fantastic times, yeah. How, I'm not sure. You, Sorry, go on. Look, as what I was going to say, is how, how do you manage to do all this when you're, you know, you've got your full-time teacher yeah. uh, and having to go away to, to, to Amsterdam or other seven tournaments? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you had to have very understanding employers. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, the schools used to get some mileage out of the fact that I was playing first class rugby. They used that a little bit. You know, <laughs> I don't know how much value that was, but <laughs> a little bit. And, you know, on the whole, the, the, the head teachers I worked for were, were very understanding. And they weren't ever long trips. They were only sort of Friday to Monday, but it meant having a couple of days off school. I remember one occasion because the, <laughs> the Heineken Sevens always started on a Friday afternoon with a big reception for all the teams at the, the Heineken Brewery in Amsterdam. And that sort of set the tone for the rest of the weekend. Yeah. Uh, and Friday night was always, you know, quite a heavy night. And then you played on the Saturday and with the greatest respect, the, the games on the Saturday were fairly gentle, so you get away with it. But on the Sunday, it used to get a lot, you know, a lot tougher. And with each year word spread to other teams that, you know, the Heineken Sevens uh, seems, seems a great tournament to go to. So the competition got stronger and stronger and stronger. And of course, you still had far too much to drink on the Saturday night and then still had to go out and perform on Sunday. So <coughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, certainly these guys these days wouldn't do that unless you're in the Barbarians, of course. But um, 
uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> they were great times. I remember once I said to, uh, I think I, I was teach, still teaching in Reading, and I said to the head teacher, look, um, I'll, I'll get back on Monday morning because most of the times with the Voyagers, you go over on the ferry and then get back late on Monday from the ferry and the ferry journeys are always quite interesting as well. But anyway, I promised that I'd get back and book a flight um, on the Monday morning to get back from Amsterdam. And I remember, yeah, we we had a big night in Amsterdam on the on the Sunday night. I can't remember whether we how we'd done in the tournament or whatever. But um, I woke up in a you know in a panic, and I was I was so late. I ran for I didn't shower or anything, just grabbed my stuff, ran down to the station. Fortunately, we weren't too far away. Jumped on a train, train to the airport, and just managed to get to the gate as they closed the gates to get on the flight. And then uh, got, <laughs> got back to school. I'm not sure I was in great shape by the time I got back to school, but I managed to get back anyway. That's amazing. I think, I think that the Voyagers have been a, quite a good recruit, recruiting um, ground for, for London Wales. I think, I think John Taylor somehow played voyages and got connected to London Wales really? that way yeah and and others and, and, and yeah. you know um people like Di Williams now and um Julian Davis are, are really in, and Nigel Reese are really influential yeah. within yeah. the voyages and they're really keen on you know, driving yeah. sort of new members and to, you know, yeah. just keep the success of that that um charity going really are you involved yeah. in any way at all in with the voyages not, now oh no, I, I mean I haven't had contact with the voyages for a long time um so uh so I'm I'm not uh, involved really um, and, and we live up in Northamptonshire now so it's uh, you know it's, it's not easy to get get down to the, the club so sadly I haven't been involved with the Voyagers for a long time. That's fair enough look you came to the Welsh you, you, you were excited by um, you know what you saw when you first arrived uh, you wanted to make scrum half your own at London Welsh so who were the yeah. tens you'd have been playing with at the time at London Welsh then? So there was uh, Neil Bennett of course, who controversially went and played one game for Colwyn Bay to qualify <laughs> and play for London Welsh. Um, and obviously, Neil was a great player. And uh, there was one occasion when England were playing Wales and Neil was the fly half for England and Mike Roberts was playing the second row for Wales. He got yeah. called back to the squad to do a job for, for Wales, which he invariably did. Um, I played a bit with... Oh, uh, the other uh, fly half was David Slater. Yeah. Another really talented player. Um, Nigel Reese sometimes played at 10. You know, Nigel was, you know, great, great footballer and could play at 10 or 12 or 15 or, or whatever. So, uh, and then, uh, if you remember a guy called Mark Titley who came up from uh, Bridgend, I think he, it was, and he came up as a very young player, but massively talented player. And he came up as a fly half. He played a few games for us at fly half, but then, shifted out to the wing or I think he moved out slowly from centre to wing and ended up playing for Wales. Oh, wow. So, so yeah, some, some, some great players around in those years that I was there and, you know, we, we had our moments. We, we, we didn't have unbeaten seasons by any means, but we had our moments and we had, you know, some great, great games. I think, you know, you had some, sometimes had some pre-season tours. We'll come on to some of the tours later on, but, um, you went on a mystery tour to Nigeria. You know, um, I mean, that's like, I don't know how many weeks you're away for, but uh, some players, can we talk about David Slater? He he, yeah. he had a virus, didn't he, after that? And was, yeah. was yeah. really, really unwell, wasn't he? 
he wasn't well. He had to come home early as well. I can't remember. Um, I think Freddie Burns had the same virus a couple of years ago. I remember seeing him and the side of uh, David's face was, was paralyzed temporarily, thankfully, um, because of this virus. Um, but yeah, <laughs> that was an interesting choice. It was sponsored by British Leyland, right. who at the, uh, had a, a car plant um, along the coast from Lagos. So they were keen to try and uh, market rugby to the Nigerian community. And uh, I think a couple of teams went there after we did, but I think we did the first one. Um, so it was an interesting tour. But a great way, I suppose, for the squad to, to bond. And would everyone go on these tours, Ian? Or would, uh, I mean, it must be quite challenging to get everyone there when it's amateur rugby. Yeah, again, you know, I mean, fortunately, the, the tours always used to happen during the school holidays in, in sort of July, August time. So for us teachers, and there were quite a few of us who were teachers at the time, it wasn't too bad. But if you, you know, if you were, if you had a proper job, then, uh, <laughs> you know, again, you had to have understanding employers or, you know, take your annual leave and, and so on. So, so yeah. And so I imagine the games are quite e easy in Nigeria, but yeah, it's it just, a, just a good cultural experience yeah, for you guys. It was, yeah. Um, yeah, most of the games, the, the initial games were against, ex had a good uh, proportion of expats in their teams. Uh, the last game we played against the Nigerian army at the National Stadium in Lagos. And they'd been thrown together about three weeks before the game and said, you're going to play rugby. And so, again, they weren't, they weren't great. But, um, you know, there was quite a big enthusiastic crowd there. I haven't got a clue what was going on. But, um, but yeah, I, and it was, it was a great tour. Oh, brilliant stuff. Look, you also sometimes became a goal kicker for London Welsh. If, if yeah. maybe if Hayden Davis or Nigel Reese had an off day with a boot, that, would that be right? Uh, yeah, I was never first choice place kicker but I, I you know I always fancy my chances a bit I mean there was a spell where um, I did uh, do a lot of kicking in one season well I don't know whether it's because Hayden was injured or um, you know David Slater again was a was a good goal kicker so there, there was one season I did quite a bit um, uh, but I can't remember why but I was never first choice place kicker but I you know I could do all right You'd back, you'd back yourself, wouldn't you? You'd back yourself. I'd back myself, yeah. I mean, I can remember a game against Leicester uh, at Old Deer Park, um, and I scored 26 points, and we beat Leicester by 40 points, which uh, was a rarity, really, but, you know, we enjoyed it nonetheless. And as a result of that, I was awarded the Richmond and Twickenham Times Sports Personality of the Month for, <laughs> for that month. So, um, Where is that award now? Is that on the shelf at home, then? Well, not really, because the, the award was uh, uh, an Adidas shell suit and uh, a bottle of Perno. Ah. Um, and that was it. There was no plaque or anything. It was just that. But uh, it was just a bit of fun. And uh, yeah. Your form was, was very good uh, well, throughout your time at London Welsh. And there was lots of speculation all the time that you're going to be capped by England. We know you, you, you haven't been. And certainly for that Australia test, which is now remembered as the Erica Road test match. Yeah. Did, did this, this speculation um, affect you in, in any way? Because you can build people up. It can knock you down when, not, when you're not selected. Yeah. How, how did that affect you at all? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if it did affect me. I mean, obviously, I would love to have got a cap. Uh, I was on the bench a couple of games. Um, 
but in those days you could only replace people if they were injured. Um, you know, I, I was called into various squads and went to training sessions, but uh, I was on standby for the England tour to Argentina in where it was 1981 or something like that. And you, you know, every time the phone rang, you thought, oh, is, is this it? Um, but it wasn't to be. And, you know, if I'm honest, there were other better scrum halves around than me. Um, I couldn't pass off my left hand, which wasn't a good <laughs> uh, But no, I mean, it didn't affect the way. I, I love playing at London Welsh and we had some really good times. We, well, you know, we, we, we lost a few that uh, we choose to forget, but, you know, we had some, some epic wins, um, you know, and, and, and they were important. And, and uh, I, I was very honoured to be invited to play for the Barbars. And, and that, that for me was just such a privilege and, and something I love doing. Um, uh, and I sort of looked upon those as my caps. Uh, let's not say I, I would love to have got a cap, but uh, it wasn't. Our fans brilliant looking. I think um, you know we've all seen a lot of the seventies you know, tries. See what's happened recently. So you've played yeah. the Barbarians quite a few times, and you've actually you actually captained them as well, didn't you? I did on two occasions. Yeah. So my first experience was uh, on the Easter tour. Um, I think that might have been Easter 1981 or 82. I can't remember. And of course, uh, in those days, they played four games. They played Penarth on the Friday. They played Cardiff on the Saturday. Um, they play Swansea on the Monday and then Newport on the way home on the, on the Tuesday. So um, uh, I played in three of those games. Uh, I didn't play against Cardiff, but there were only 15 of us left by the time it got to the Newport game. So... <laughs> <laughs> I played through those games and it, and it was such a thrill, you know, to walk into the changing rooms and see those shirts hanging up on the pegs and you're thinking, crikey, uh, you know, who's worn those shirts before that? Because in those days, of course, you had, they literally took the shirt off your back as you walked back into the changing rooms because everybody wanted to pinch a Barbar shirt, yeah. but they were so strict on giving the shirts back in that, you know, if, they they counted them into the bag and if there was any missing you weren't allowed to change rooms till till they found who they were but so i went on a, a couple of easter tours and there was one in particular um i i think i was on the i played against penarth on the friday i think i was on the bench for the cardiff game on the saturday and came on uh, but cardiff beat the barbires by 40 points and on the sunday morning um we stayed in the Angel in, in Cardiff every year. And on a Sunday morning, uh, Jeff Windsor-Lewis was the secretary. He said, Ian, can you come up to the committee room? I thought, ooh, what, what have I done now? I, and I, you know, I was racking my brains as I went up to the committee room. And, and all the committee was sat there, Mickey Steele, Bodger, and you know, all those barbarian legends. And they said, uh, we, we're in a bit of a crisis. Uh, because people are beginning to doubt the value of the barbarians. And we can't underestimate how important this game tomorrow is against Swansea. And we want you to captain the team. <laughs> so no pressure. Um, but I mean, what an honour. And, you know, it was, well, it was a real goosebump moment for me to actually lead this team out onto the pitch at uh, St. Helens in, in Swansea. And uh, we managed to win the game. So 
the Barbars committee were happy enough and you know that that led I think I then uh, played what, what I sort of classed as my 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 only cap I played for the Barbars against what was I think it was the Racing Club of France in those days it was their centenary and again this would have been about uh, no, about 1982, maybe 1983. Um, and they were playing the French President's 15 at the um, the old stadium in France. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. Parc de Prince. Parc de Prince, yeah, I don't say that, yeah. And the Barbars had brought over uh, Gary Knight, Murray Mexted, and Graham Murray from, from New Zealand. And it was a side that was packed full of internationals. Clive Reese played in that one. Um, and, uh, and, and I, I started in that game and loved every minute, managed to sneak in for a try. We lost just um, not very much, but uh, playing against, you know, a pretty strong French national side in, in Paris was, uh, that's, that's, that was my cap. That's brilliant. So how many times did you play for Barbarians then? Well, I think it was 14, but um, the uh, you look at some of the stats, it says 12, but I, I counted 14, so I, I'm sticking with 14. <laughs> That's fair enough. Look, you seem to be a very consistent player, and you and um, like you hardly ever missed a match. You know, what sort of lengths did you go to to keep in shape and, and be able to play like three games in, in five days and, and play yeah. every week? Yeah, well, I mean, I, for, for, first and foremost, I was really lucky with injury. Uh, I uh, I didn't really have serious injuries. You, you played most weeks with bumps and bruises, but um, and as I said, I said a couple of times that I was, I was a real believer in in training and training hard when I was training. I hated running. I used to hate going out for runs, but I would chase a ball around a squash court. I was never very good at squash, but I chased the ball around for an hour or chase around a tennis court or you know around a five side football pitch or whatever. So I used to do a lot of other you know, activity and uh, running around. And, you know, I'm sure that certainly helped. I'm sure it did. Look, um, uh, um, you talk about London Welsh have, having up and down se seasons uh, and things like that, and you had some big games. And one of them was knocking Gloucester out of the cup when you win 14-3 yeah. at Kingsholm, where Michael Austin of the Telegraph wrote, George presided like a maestro conducting a symphony orchestra in a difficult composition controlling the game as he wished. Is this how, <laughs> is, is this how you remembered it? Uh, I'm not sure how I'll take it for sure, but it's not quite how I remember it. I mean, what I remember that game for, I mean, first of all, uh, nobody gave us a prayer to go down to Kingsow and beat Gloucester because in those days, Gloucester, you know, as they are now, one of the best around and we weren't given much of a, much of a chance. And um, <laughs> so... Uh, Jane was supposed to be playing netball that day. Uh, Jane was a good netballer and she was supposed to be playing netball that day. So I, I went on the bus. The bus picked me up as they, they came down the M4. We were living in Reading. And because um, in those days, you, you warmed up in the changing rooms. You didn't come out on the pitch and do all the warming up. So we ran out onto the pitch at King's Home. And I thought, I heard this voice. I thought, that's Jane. What's she doing here? And Jane's netball had been cancelled, so she'd driven to King's home um, and, uh, you know, was at the game. 
the downside of that was, of course, we then beat Gloucester, and it was a, it was, it was a really good win, and you know, it was never really in doubt. Um, and it, it was one of the standout memories for me uh, playing for London Welsh. Uh, but the problem then was, of course, we celebrated long and hard into the night and uh, we, we, we had a car with us. So I'm ashamed to say, I mean, this was pre-breathalyzer and I wouldn't ever, ever condone it. We, we actually drove back to Reading when we shouldn't have been anywhere near a car. So uh, that's, <laughs> that's my memories of that day. Yeah, no, different days now, obviously. Yeah, but I completely understand that. Look, I think you know um, we talk about the league and the, how, how the cup is quite important. Um, we've had with Mark Douglas joined under Welsh back in yeah. eighty three, eighty four, and that became sort of you know he um, signed to play number nine. So, what 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 did you feel about that competition and you know, playing for that number well, nine shirt between you both? Yeah, I mean, oh, Mark was an international player, and he you know he was. He was one of the best around. So, I mean, I, I couldn't compete with that. I knew that. Um, uh, I still thought I had, you know, something to offer to the club. The problem by this stage, though, was that I'd moved jobs up to Bloxham School, which is just outside Banbury in Oxfordshire, North Oxfordshire. And so for me, the, uh, the journey down to Old Deer Park was a sort of 150-mile round trip. Um, and I was still doing that two nights a week and, and for games and so on. I played a few games for the Druids. But in those days, you had uh, just two replacements, uh, one forward and one back. And normally it was a hooker and a scrum half. But because I played a lot, you know, in other positions, I could pretty much play anywhere in the backs. Then, you know, they thought I was the ideal sort of guy to have on the bench. So I didn't play very much in, in that uh, in that last year um but still you know enjoyed what i was doing but it was just becoming a bit of a slog to to drive all that way and not play very much so i made the decision um it was well in 1985 that the, the 84 85 was going to be my last season and it just coincided with the fact that uh, jane was pregnant with twins so we thought that was probably as good a time as any to uh, to hang my boots up. That's fair enough. Look, we, that's the year we went to the John Player Trophy final, and as you say, yep. you, know, you were on the bench that day, but okay. you did, didn't come on due to you know, no. no injuries. But you still had success that a few weeks beforehand with Middlesex winning a county final at Twickenham. So, what were yep. the crowds like for those county finals oh. back then? Well, I, if there were ten thousand at Twickenham on that county final. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was as much as there was. In fact, um, so that Easter, I'd been on the Barbars tour again. And because in those days, most of the rugby that was on was on a programme called Rugby Special, BBC Two on a Sunday. And they were trying to uh, sort of advertise the county championship final as much as they could. So uh, they interviewed me after the Barbars game. And uh, this was against Cardiff. And um, say, I think if there was 10,000 at Twickenham the following week, then it's as much as there was. But uh, a couple of weeks after that, I got a letter from the BBC saying, further your interview on Rugby Special on whatever the date was, you're entitled to a fee of £25. However, as you know, the RFU regulations do not allow you to accept payment. Uh, so please let us know which charity you'd like your, the money donated to. So... <laughs> You know, you talk about amateur, it really was, uh, it really was amateur. 
I'm, I'm sure it was. Look, look, um, you know, we spoke about the tours to Nigeria. What, what other tours did you go to as part of London Welsh? Oh, uh, uh, I did. Uh, we did a great trip to Colorado. Um, that would have been in about 82, I think, something like that. Um, and that, that was a wonderful tour. We, we played in, in Denver, we played in Aspen, we went up into the Rockies and we played in Aspen. Uh, in fact, we played two games in two days in Aspen. We played against the, the club side on the Saturday, then we played the Western United States uh, on the Sunday. Um, so that was a pretty memorable weekend. And the, and the Aspen Rugby Club was right in the middle of, uh, of the town. And, you know, you were surrounded by the Rockies. And of course, it was played at altitude. We didn't even consider altitude in those days, but it, it was quite tough going and it was hot. Um, so that was an amazing tour. Um, and then we, we did one pre-season tour to uh, Osnabrück, to an army regiment in, uh, in Os Osnabrück. And uh, we, went, we went over on the ferry and on the coach, and it was a long old hike through Germany. And I think it was Arthur Jones, who was the tour manager, said, just decide, you know, on your way down who you want to share your room with. And we arrived at this place and it was the early hours of the morning. And the, the bus pulled onto the sort of parade ground and the guys said, follow us. And they took us up to the top of this building and there was one room with about 40 beds in it. <laughs> and that, that was our accommodation for the week. So it wasn't exactly luxury, but uh, again, we had a good week and it was a really good pre-season week. We did lots of training, lots of preparation. We played a game. Um, the, the, the regiment we were with was the 7th RHA, or well, 7th RHA. And uh, they became one of the more successful army units, I think, over the next few years. Um, so, that, you know, again, that was, uh, that was a great tour. How are these funded by... Uh yourselves or by club benefactors or sponsors uh, mostly we, we had to fund them ourselves there were there was some that the club uh, put in some money but of course clubs didn't have money like they have now uh the nigeria tour we didn't have to pay anything that was all sponsored by british leyland um but the other tours we went on you know there was a cost um the club tried to keep the cost down as much as possible and you know, they raised funds as, uh, as best they could. But um, no, we, there, there was cost involved for us. I'm sure. Look, look you, um, you said you retired after the 85 season, but you hadn't really retired, had you? Because you managed to squeeze another game out here, didn't you? Because you returned to London Welsh as a coach, yeah. or an, assist, an assistant coach to start with in, in 89. Um, yeah. So what attracted you to come back to London Welsh? And then well, you, you managed to pick yourself in one of the teams as well, didn't you? Well... <laughs> Yeah, uh, again, I, so uh, in 1988, we moved to a school called Halebury in Hertfordshire. Um, and I was appointed there as head of PE and master in charge of rugby. And um, it was, there was a big job to do because Halebury's rugby hadn't been very strong for a while. And uh, they saw me as the person who might be able to help them out. But I also got a call from Howard Evans who sort of taken on the team manager's role, asking if I could perhaps go down and give a hand uh, with a bit of, bit of coaching. And I was happy to do that. Um, you know, I, the plan was I'd go down just once a week and, uh, uh, and uh, do some sessions with the backs and, and that, that suited me fine. But about three weeks into the season, and I can't remember 
who the guy was who who was the head coach and I should remember but all of a sudden he sort of in the middle of a session said I've had enough I'm off um so the players sort of stood looking at me it was it was Yestin Thomas Yestin Thomas wasn't it no no it wasn't Yestin I know Yestin no it wasn't Yestin um oh I can't remember now that's good a good bit of research for you right? <laughs> uh, it, it certainly wasn't Yestin because I know I know Yestin really well but um I can't remember who it was maybe was somebody Andy else. Kay no no okay oh, we'll get there another time don't worry <laughs> yeah um so anyway uh I ended up sort of being the lead coach as it were which is never a job I I uh was looking for I, I'd done a bit of co- I'd coached Oxford University for three years um, just after I finished playing. So 85, 86, 87, the varsity match was 85, 86, 87, and then moved down to Hertfordshire. So it wasn't feasible for me to do that. And that, of course, that coaching at Oxford was all done on a part-time basis because I was teaching full-time and and so on. Uh, So I wasn't really looking for a big commitment. The the once a week with the backs would have suited me fine, but... um, but there wasn't anybody else around at the time. And so I, I took on the role. Um, if I'm honest, I didn't do a very good job with it because I, I was my, I wouldn't say my priorities, but I, you know, I had a lot of other things going on, young family, new job. So it was difficult to, uh, to keep all, you know, all the balls in the air at the same time. But there was one week we had a problem at fly half and so in the uh in the selection meeting we had before there wasn't really and again i can't, i don't want to disrespect anybody who might have been there fly out at the time but we couldn't couldn't really think of who might be able to slot in and i think it was howard said well what about well because howard could have played 10 but i think he was even older than me at the time so um so i think it was howard said well what about you um, so I ended up playing it was against Harlequins, I remember. Ooh. And um, yeah, it, it probably wasn't a sensible move, but it was a tough, tough, tough season. And, um, you know, I said to Howard, you know, fairly soon after Christmas, I, I can't keep doing this because uh, I, I wasn't seeing, I wasn't able to be there on Saturdays because of my job. Um, I, it was a bit easier for me after Christmas because the school rugby had stopped. Um, and uh, so I did get to some of the games or if the games were on a Sunday, but it was a tough season and it needed somebody who could put everything into it. And I said, oh, I can't, you know, I can't do this. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not being fair to the club. You know, completely understandable that, you know, you, you know, You've got work, family. It's, it's completely yeah. understandable. Did you, did, when you, when your children were younger, doing mini rugby? Did you help out them with the local rugby club and their no. coaching there, or did you just stand back and let others? Absolutely not. I am full of admiration for all these guys who give up their Sunday week in, week out, Sunday mornings. Um, I was, you know, always pleased to be there whenever I could be on the on the touchline. Um, but I mean, the, the twins didn't play much rugby. They played a bit, but they preferred football. Uh, whereas Jamie was, uh, well, Jamie was into both as well, and and played both until he was about ten or eleven. Then had to make a choice, and it was always going to be rugby. But no, I, I didn't get involved. I mean, if they asked me, I, I used to do quite a lot of refereeing um, with, with Jamie's 
sort of age groups as they came through, you know, they're sort of under 13s, under 14s, under 15s, which I was more than happy to do. And that was my contribution. But uh, no, I, I wouldn't have had the patience with these guys. And as I say, I'm full of admiration for all the coaches that are involved in mini and junior rugby across the country, week in, week out, all weathers. Yeah, but, but look, you, you did that as a job, right? So why would you want to do that yeah. on a Sunday as well, right? You, you, yeah, you yeah. understand that. So that was your that was your weekday job. So people wouldn't. Yeah. That, that's I couldn't come in yeah. why you're saying that. Look, you played for London Welsh 151 times. And you scored 20, 26 tries. So when you look back on your playing days, you know what are those memories or friendships that you hold dear? Oh well, there's so many memories. Um, I mean, uh, I think I mentioned to you. You know, we're still. Uh, very friendly with Kevin Bowring and his wife Wendy. Uh, we we see uh, Byron Light and and his wife Ruth uh, occasionally uh, for for quite a while. We we used to spend New Year's Eve together, and there'd be Di Reese and Byron and Bruce Bradley uh, and, and obviously their wives. Uh, but you know we all had kids who were of a certain age, so we could get away with it for for a long time. Uh, but then when the kids got to sort of mid-teenage years, they'd had, they didn't want to be sharing New Year's Eve with us. So that sort of uh, fell by the wayside a little bit. But uh, we still keep in touch and uh, we see you know, Kevin and Wendy quite a lot, um, which is great. Um, but so many memories. Uh, you know, Jane often says, because you know, I, I can remember certain things about certain games. I can remember certain elements of that Gloucester game that you mentioned earlier and uh yeah whereas i can't remember what happened last week sometimes but there you know some fantastic moments i remember scoring a try against neath um at old deer park uh started from a mall on the halfway line i can still see peter ellis was the second row and he had the ball in the mall i could see there was a bit of a gap by the side of the mall because the neath guys had just turned their back and i shouted for the ball and i managed to sneak through and score into the post so you know that that was uh that was something i i, I remember very fondly um but no lo lots and lots of happy memories oh great no great look okay look, uh, look thank you for your time today i really appreciate it and you know it's great, it's great to go down memory lane with um you know someone like yourself who's played for the club and represented the club of distinction for a number of years look look Please don't be a stranger. You know, feel free to come back to Old Deer Park. We're, we're playing level five next year. So we're brilliant. on our way back and we're yeah. sustainable. But it's been brilliant to chat to you today. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's, it's my pleasure, Gareth. And you know, I wish the club all the luck in the world because it's great to see them heading back in the right direction. Thank you very much. Okay. Cheers, Gareth. <laughs>